0: One of the questions that you probably have asked yourself and has been asked down through uh, the centuries is this particular question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, this is basically the story of Job. I mean, Job was a man who was righteous. In fact, God put him up against anybody in the entire world and said, "Uh, This is a righteous man. I'm holding him, him up as an example of what a righteous man should be. But then just calamity after calamity after calamity fell upon Job. And even in this life, oftentimes we see something that happens to somebody and, and we just don't understand it, we can't explain it, it seems so unfair, it just doesn't seem right. In fact, some people make a very strong argument against the existence of God on this very question right here. Why does bad things happen to good people? But well, there's also another question that sometimes puzzles us, and another question you maybe have asked yourself down through the years, and many have, and it's this particular question Why do good things happen to bad people? I mean, logically, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not fair that someone who is a very bad person but yet they seem to get all kinds of blessings. They seem to have all kinds of benefits. It seems like life is so easy for them, but yet they are a terrible person. They may even be an atheist. don't even believe in God, but yet their life just seems to have bounty after bounty after bounty, and that just bothers us. In fact, David even wrote a psalm about it because he was so perplexed. Why do good things happen to bad people? But there's another wrinkle we can add to this when we think about this particular question and we can now think about it looking at it this way. Someone who deserves to be punished, but they receive no punishment at all. Perhaps we know somebody in our lives that Uh, You almost feel like, well, they got away with something, or you feel like, well, they didn't get their just rewards. You feel like, well, that's just not fair, because uh, here is somebody that is is just an awful person, a rotten person, but yet they don't get the punishment deserved. Uh, There have been cases down through the years of of notable trials where uh, sometimes there are people we think who got off scot-free that shouldn't got off scot-free. And so when we start thinking, why do good things happen to bad people? The ultimate thing that comes out of that is when someone deserves to be punished, but yet they don't receive any punishment at all. I mean, how fair is that? How unlogical is that? That justifies everything that common sense dictates. Well, when we think about the very first question, we think about the fact there's an ultimate example of that. When you think about why do bad things happen to good people, and of course what I'm talking about is Jesus. If there was ever anyone on the face of the earth that exhibits an example of the question, why do bad things happen to good people, it's Jesus Christ. Here was a man who was absolutely perfect in every single way, yet unfairly, Unjustly and illogically, Jesus Christ went through the horrendous death of the crucifixion. Even though he did not deserve one lash, one thorn, one nail, one ounce of suffering. He's the perfect example of someone asking the question, Why do bad things happen to good people? But we also have an example of the second question. In fact, I would dare say that he is in our Bibles because he is the perfect example of the second question of why do good things happen to bad people? Why, do, why, do, why is it there's someone who deserves to be punished, but he doesn't get his just punishment? And that guy's name is Barabbas. Barabbas is the perfect example of the second question, why do good things happen to bad people? But here's the thing we need to understand this morning. And here's the point I want to drive into your hearts. And something I hope that you'll think very carefully about. Because when we start thinking about this second example, start thinking about this particular man, here's the thing that each and every one of us needs to understand. I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. Every single person in here, including myself, is Barabbas. Now the Bible has very little to say about Barabbas. There's very little in our text we're even going to look at today that says hardly anything about Barabbas. But here's the thing we need to understand and appreciate. In everything that is said about Barabbas... It is talking about us. Everything that happened to Barabbas happened to us. And so throughout this lesson today, as we start thinking about Barabbas, we need to make sure we understand and appreciate the fact, I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. You can try to deny it. You can try not to think about it. You can say, well, that really doesn't apply to me, but you're just simply lying to yourself. I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. And so this story this morning is about you. And so we should pay very, very close attention to it. But let's ask three questions this morning about Barabbas. And the very first question we want to ask ourselves is, is what kind of person was Barabbas? As we start going through the Bible, there's really very little said about Barabbas, as I've already uh, talked about. But yet the things that are said about him, that describe him, are not very good things. Notice how in Matthew 27 and verse 16, it refers to Barabbas as being a notorious prisoner. Another way we could phrase it is, he was an infamous prisoner. The word emphasis means he was famous, but he was famous in a bad way. He was somebody that evidently was known throughout the region of Judea as being a very, very bad person. He was in prison because of the fact that everybody knew how bad this person was. He was infamous. When people heard the name Barabbas, they immediately thought of somebody who was a very bad person. But the Bible also describes him as being one who was rebellious and a murderer someone who had rebelled against the laws of the land, someone who had actually committed murder, killed other people. The Bible doesn't tell us how many he killed. The Bible does tell us that it was perhaps tied some way or another to insurrection against the Roman government, and maybe he killed Roman soldiers, maybe he killed other people that didn't agree with his plans of what he wanted to do. But regardless of the fact, the Bible describes Barabbas as rebellious and a murderer. But the Bible also describes him as a robber, and as a thief, and as an outlaw. We sometimes, because of the Old West, uh, give some kind of credence to being an outlaw. But folks, nobody really wants to be an outlaw, because it means they are outside the law. It means they are not living within the code of society. They are people who are not obeying what normal people would normally obey. But we start looking at this guy and we know know he has a famous history. He's rebellious, he's a murderer, he's a robber, a thief, he's an outlaw. I think we'd have to agree that this is a bad and terrible person that we're talking about this morning. In fact, as we think about it, we think about here was a man that was in prison, this notorious prisoner, because he was sentenced to die he was going to be put to death he was going to be hung on a cross and crucified here was a man who had broken the law and the law demanded death he was getting what he deserved he went before the court the court said he's guilty here's your penalty you deserve to die So as we look at the screen now and we start picturing in our mind this terrible man, this bad man named Barabbas, I want us to look in the imaginary mirror, if you will, this morning and realize I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. Everything that I just said about Barabbas is a description of you. Uh, You may not like it. You may disagree with me this morning. Your sins may not be as bad as Barabbas's sin, but as far as God is concerned, sin and sin. You may never have murdered anyone. You maybe have never stolen anything from anyone. But your sin is just as bad as Barabbas's sin, because as far as God is concerned, sin is sin. You have broken the law, You are rebellious. You are an outlaw. And because of that, you deserve to die. In fact, the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that we fully understood and appreciated this. So beginning in Romans chapter 3, he has given us a description of who we really are. And he he didn't hold back. I want you to listen to what he says, beginning in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. And go through this text, and I want you to appreciate the fact that he's not talking about somebody else. He bookmarks this particular section of Scripture with making the statement, this applies to everyone, both at the beginning of this and at the end of it. And he comes up with some verbiage and some terms that should make us just shrink in our seats to make us fall down on the ground and humble ourselves before God, because when he is making this description, he is describing each and every one of us whether we think it fits or not. But his point is, it applies to everyone. Because he begins in verse 10, he says, "...as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God." They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. In their tongues they use deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and mercy are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A little bit later on in this particular text, Paul tells us what the outcome of this particular description is in Romans chapter 6. In verse 23, when he says, For the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 reminds us, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so we start thinking about Barabbas, and we need to start looking in the mirror and realize that we are Barabbas. I know you don't think that you're that bad of a person, because maybe your sins don't smell as bad as somebody else's sins. But yet at the same time, let me tell you this morning, you are a bad person. And you may not want to hear that. You may not even believe it. But you are a bad person. You are Barabbas. We are an outlaw. We are a rebel. We are someone who has broken the law. And we deserve to die. But there's a second question we need to ask this morning. And that is, what happened to Barabbas? Well, once again, you start looking at the Bible, and the Bible only gives us one day out of his life. We get to witness just one day out of his entire life. We don't know what happened prior to this, really. We can only know what we, what he, how he's identified. We don't know what happened to him afterwards. We just know what happened on this one day. And this one day was the same day that Jesus was being put on trial by Pilate. Now Pilate, as we know the text tells us, knew that Jesus was an innocent man. He knew that Jesus had committed no wrong. His wife had even come to him and said, You don't need to have anything to do with this man. All this is going to do is cause you trouble, implifying that even she understood that this was an innocent man. And so Pilate had come up with several different ways to try to take this man out of his life. He sent Jesus to Herod of Galilee, hoping that Herod would decide what needs to be done to him. But Herod just sent him back. So he had a problem. He was still there. Then he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll satisfy their bloodlust. And he had Jesus beaten severely. But even after having done that, the Jewish people weren't satisfied, so he still had this problem on his hands. What to do with Jesus of Nazareth? He had one option left. And he hoped that this would be the option that would succeed for him. Something that he thought of that, that would, would have to work. When people uh, started looking at Jesus, and they started looking at Barabbas, that yeah, this would get him off of his hands, and he wouldn't have to declare an innocent man guilty and put him to death. In fact... Um, Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 15, and pick up the story and and see what's happening here. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 15, it says, Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. And they had sent a notable prisoner, they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said, sent unto him, saying, How had thou nothing to do with this ju- that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him." But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a torment was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now as we think about this particular reading of the Scripture, I want to share with you some thoughts that some other people have had down through the years about what was actually happening to Barabbas on this occasion. I don't know if it's exactly right, but it's a pretty good possibility that this happened this particular way. When Jesus was standing before Pilate and the multitude on this particular occasion, Uh, He, Pilate and Jesus is in an area of Jerusalem called the Pavement. Uh, The Pavement was an area where Pilate and other notables held court, if you will. In fact, you can go to Jerusalem today and the Pavement is still there. Uh, John talks about the Pavement by name in his particular gospel of, of this particular event. But more than likely, scholars think that Barabbas was... Uh, about a third of a mile away behind the crowd in a prison holding area called the Fortress of Antonia. And since he was roughly 2,100 feet away from where Pilate was, as he was in his cell, he could not hear what Pilate was saying, but he could hear what the mob was saying. They would be very loud, but even if he could get a glimpse of what, he could get just a uh, a little bit of what Pilate was saying, it would be muffled because he's so far away and he only had one person speaking as opposed to a multitude of people speaking. Now, with that in mind, I want you to go back and look at the text and picture Barabbas, if you will, in his cell and hear what he hears. He can't hear anything for a few moments. But then you get to verse 21 and all suddenly he hears, Barabbas! And he thinks, oh no, they're talking about me. And then you go down a little bit in the text and of course Pilate asks some more questions, but Barabbas can't hear the question. All he hears now is the crowd in one big mob voice saying, let him be crucified. And Barabbas starts thinking, well, man, this is it. People, they hate me. People, they want to see me dead. They're so stirred up. There's no way I'm going to get out of this. This is, this is, all this, I need to make peace because this is it. This is the end. They're going to take me out. They're going to strip me and they're going to hang me on a cross. And then a few moments pass by and then all suddenly he hears it again. The crowd saying, let him be crucified. I can see Barabbas starting to shake. I can see sweat forming on his body. I can feel his heart beating faster and faster. Then, we drop down to verse 25 and he hears something that starts to puzzle him. When he hears the crowd say, let his blood be upon us and our children. And Barabbas says, what in the world is that about? A few minutes later, he hears the stomping of the Roman soldier's feet coming down the corridor. They open up his cell. Barabbas says, well, this is it. I knew this day was coming. I'm going to receive my punishment. But as they went into the cell to get him, they said, Barabbas, you're free to go. You'll get your belongings from the jailer. You can walk out into the sunshine you're a free man. What? Barabbas didn't ask to be free. Barabbas didn't make any kind of plea to the government saying, please free me. He didn't express how that he would be someone who was on good behavior if you set me free. He didn't present some type of hardship case. He... He deserved to die, but yet, now he's free. Doesn't make sense. Logically, it just flies into the face of everything we know to be right and true. It just absolutely defies human comprehension how this could happen. A notorious prisoner rebellious, a murderer, a robber, a thief, an outlaw. It's like none of it ever happened. Just go off scot-free. You're free to go. You just go do whatever you want to do, buddy. You're just like everybody else now. Well, once again, as we think about what happened to Barabbas, we've got to look in that proverbial mirror again and realize that (laughs) I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. It defies human logic. But for some reason, God loved us so much that He gave us His only begotten Son to die for us. And as Jesus hung on that cross in Barabbas' place, He also hung on that cross in our place because I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. In fact, the Apostle Paul also had something to say about this. In the book of Romans, when you think about what he said earlier, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, notice what he says. He says, you are Barabbas when he says these words. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly that he's dying for in that particular verse is, the, the ungodly he's talking about in those verses is this issue. And then in verse 7, there's the illogicalness of this, how this just doesn't seem right. When he says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per venture for a good man some would even dare to die. But God... God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. We had been placed under the death penalty. We deserved it. We should have got it. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have been set free. That defies human logic. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't seem like it's even real. How in the world could something like this happen? But when we start thinking about the fact that I am Barabbas and that you are Barabbas, then we come to realize that we're those group of people that we were just talking about. You may say, what people? Well, we're those people that people talk about when they say, why do good things happen to bad people? That's you and I. People could ask that question today. It doesn't make sense to them. Why do good things happen to bad people? Or better yet, that other wrinkle we talked about, Someone deserves to be punished, but they receive no punishment at all. Folks, that's us. As much as I think about it, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. And by any means, it is unfair. It's just not right. But when we look at Barabbas and we see what happened to him, folks, that's us. We may not understand it. We may not be able to fully comprehend it. But we are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. Now I'm running out of time this morning, so let's ask one more question. What was the response of Barabbas? Well, like I said, the Bible doesn't tell us. We really don't know what happened after Barabbas was set free. Uh, Down through the years, there's been different legends. According to tradition, what people thought might have happened to Barabbas after this eventful day in his life, when a man who was the scum of the earth was allowed to be set free like nothing ever happened one of the most illogical events in history. There are some legends that go along with that, and I'll share three with you this morning. The first legend is that Barabbas didn't accept his pardon. He, he started thinking about it and thought about how illogical it was, He thought about how that it just didn't seem right. It made no sense to him. It was something that seemed too good to be true. And it had to be some kind of miscarriage of justice here. So there is one legend that he was still feeling so much remorse and so much guilt that he turned himself back in. And he says, I don't care what you guys say. I don't care what Pilate say. I deserve to die and I'm going to get my punishment because I deserve it. And I don't want your pardon." Somebody says, well, that would be a pretty stupid thing to do. That sounds pretty far-fetched. But folks, it happens all the time, every day, even in this world today. When you think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, when He's given us the opportunity to escape the death penalty, when He's given us the opportunity to truly be free, but yet we start reflecting and looking at ourselves and realizing we are Barabbas, we start thinking, well... (coughs) I don't think that really can happen. I mean, you don't understand how bad I am. You don't understand how guilty I am. I deserve to get any punishment God wants to bestow upon me because I am terrible. I'm a bad person and there's no way in the world that this can be right. I don't deserve this and therefore I can't get it. It doesn't apply to me. It may apply to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me. There are people like that today who, maybe, as the legend of Barabbas says, he couldn't handle. he couldn't handle it. Too much guilt, too much he had done, and it just didn't make sense to him, so he just turned himself back in and did nothing about the pardon of the life of Jesus Christ being put in the place of his life. There's a second legend that says that, that when Barabbas was released, it made no difference in his life at all. He didn't appreciate it. It didn't make any impact on him whatsoever. It reminds me of a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, where the Apostle Paul sets the standard for us who have now been pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, For we thus judge that if one man died for all, then all were dead. And if one man died for all, those of us who now live can no longer live for self, but live for him that died for us and has now rose again. And then Paul continues, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all, all things have passed away, all things have become new." That's the attitude that we should have and not the attitude of the legend of Barabbas that said he simply didn't care. But there's a third legend about Barabbas and this is the one I hope is true. I hope is the case. And I hope is the case for every one of us this morning because we are Barabbas. Legend tells us, and this is a very popular legend, that Barabbas, after he was freed, even though he didn't understand it, He couldn't couldn't fathom what had been done for him, but it changed his heart and realized how he needed to be dependent upon this man that took his place. And legend tells us that he went to the site of the crucifixion and he beheld the the man that was on the cross, the man that took his place, and he thought within his heart of hearts, those should have been my nails, those should have been my crown of thorns, that should have been me who was hanging on that cross, that should have been my blood that is being spilled, but that man took my place. And legend tells us that he eventually joined the disciples in Jerusalem and became a part of the Lord's church there and continued living a guilt-free, but grace-driven life in the service of the Lord. This morning as we close our lesson, let me remind you again that I am Barabbas, that each and every one of you are Barabbas, And the bottom line issue this morning is, now knowing that you are Barabbas, what will your response be? Will you take advantage of the pardon that's been issued to us through the blood of Jesus Christ? Or will it make no difference in your life? Or will you look at Jesus and appreciate the fact that, no, I did not deserve it. It defies all logic and common sense. It's really, when you think about it, so unfair that something so good should happen to someone so bad, that someone who deserves punishment is not getting punished, and think about the fact that I need to accept that pardon and start living a life that is guilt-free and grace-driven. If I can help you with that decision this morning, please come down to the front and talk to me about it, and we'll talk about what needs to be done next. But please, don't turn your back on the most wonderful blessing that God has ever given mankind. Won't you come as together we stand and sing.